Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Pat Nemers, the lead pastor at Sailorville Church, and thank you so much for uh, letting us come into your living rooms, your bedrooms, and I'm guessing some of you haven't even got out of the bathroom yet. But at, at any rate, we're glad to be able to come to you today to worship with you both in song and with the Word of God. And if you brought, uh, if you got a Bible somewhere around there, you can find uh, Exodus chapter 12 as we continue in our series on the Passover. Uh, we've looked at all of these destructive plagues that God has used to destroy all the gods of the Egyptian culture. And last week we talked about how God is actually trying to knock down the gods in our own culture. And perhaps even through this uh, pandemic that all of us, and I do mean all of us, are experiencing. When I came here to this church about 20 years ago, there was a guy, his name was Slim. He's gone on to be with the Lord. It was kind of a funny nickname, Slim, because he, he was anything but. He was, a, he was larger than life. He was a large man, tall man, and he had a heart that went along with his body. He was a big-hearted guy. And uh, he was already an older man when I came here, and for a couple of decades, he had been gone, going to a place in Des Moines where they showed travelogues. Uh, you'd almost have to be older to even know it. I didn't even know what it was. These travelogues would be places you could go to, and they'd be like a theater setting, and you'd, you'd go there, you might eat, uh, and then someone would uh, give you a travelogue of a country, its people, its culture, its geography, all of that. It was all very interesting, and he, he, uh, he and his girlfriend, he was a widower, invited my wife and I to a travelogue. I think it might have been of Greece. I'm not really sure. But it was really, really interesting. And I'll never forget what Slim said after that travelogue. He said, he says, I've seen the whole world and I've, and I've never even left my county. <laughs> I thought, well, uh, that's true if you went to a lot of travelogues. And it was fun, but it wasn't the same. I, I would visit Greece just a few years afterwards, and while the travel log was great, it wasn't like being there. I share that with you as we come into your homes here uh, this morning because I, I don't have any illusions to the fact that in spite of all the technology that God has afforded us here at Sailorville Church, it's not the same uh, as being with you, seeing you, shaking hands, hugging. Uh, the communion that we really enjoy seeing one another isn't quite the same. I get that. And we are living in real-time history, are we not? Uh, it's history in the making, and there's going to be a time where we're going to be able to look back and say, do you remember the coronavirus, uh, the, you know, the, the COVID-19, and, and uh, that individual who got sick, or uh, the worry that we uh, experienced, the anxiety uh, that we, we experienced, the stress that we experienced, the job situation that was lost or was sort of you know, the pressure involved there. Uh, some of you will remember, you'll look back and remember all the money that went out the window during this time. Some of you will look back and our own family will look back and remember a child. And it looks to be children, plural, that were born during this time. And maybe some of you will look back and say, that's when I came to know the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. But we're looking back, when we look back if we look back, we're looking back at that which has passed. And I mean, it is going to pass, isn't it? This is all going to pass, right? I mean, geez, what if it doesn't? What if, what if it gets worse? What if it gets way worse? I mean, what if, this, what if this pandemic, what if this invisible monster begins to morph and takes out half our population? That seems a little extreme. But 
One thing is for sure, all of us are starting to probably reevaluate those big decisions that we were facing before all this hit. They don't seem so big anymore, do they? Many of them, at least. My mind immediately went to the writer of Hebrews who said in chapter 12, he says, just as God shook the earth when Moses was on Mount Sinai being given the Ten Commandments and the earth shook and there was cloud and lightning and thunder, the voice of God, the writer of Hebrews says, once more, God will come and shake not only the earth, but the heavens. And then he has this line, so that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. As I've thought a lot about this, I think at the very least, God is challenging all of us, Christians and non-Christians alike. What are you building your life on? If you're building your life on things that shake, well, it only takes a pandemic like this to remind you of just how shaky they are, how temporal they are. Our health, our finances, our families, our emotions, there's a whole lot of shaking that's going on right now. And that's not funny. The stock market isn't the only thing that's getting a correction right now. We are. We're getting corrected. I do think, I do really in my, ho my own heart, I do believe that we will look back on this eventually and probably sooner than later, but it will not be soon enough for many of us. Since the Exodus, the Jews have looked back. They've looked back at this first and only real Passover. There's only one Passover, and it's here in Exodus chapter 12. Now, normally, when you think about Passover, I mean, we don't like being passed over, right? I mean, if you're a, if you're a young person watching this, you don't like to be passed over when it, gets to be, when it gets to somebody selecting you to be on the team. You don't like to be passed over in sport. We don't like to be passed over if you're an adult uh, for a job promotion. That's, that's demeaning. And none of us like to be passed over when it comes to romance, Some, somebody picking somebody else over us. But the Passover that the Jews would experience on this night depicted in, in Exodus 12 would symbolize a much greater Passover that all of us, you and me, all of us need to experience. These are hard. These are uncertain times. Isolation is no fun. This is hard for me. It's hard for me to come into your living rooms this way and not to be able to see you, as I already mentioned. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a social guy. Isolation is no fun unless you're an isolationist. And being shut out from the people that we love is hard and it's distressing. But if you get shut out from God, it'll be more than hard and distressing. It'll be damning. You need, I need, we need a greater Passover. One that not only guarantees judgment will be averted, but joy, everlasting joy, anticipated and experienced in the here and now and then thereafter. The, ver the very first verse says, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be to you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. This is the Jewish New Year. Now, at New Year's, and we basically just reset our calendar. We might have a restart. We might, you know, make all kinds of resolutions, but not much more. For Israel, 
the Passover would become their new year. It is their new year. They set their entire calendars, their lives by this event that we celebrate at Easter time. Now the Passover and another feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, were actually celebrated simultaneously. We'll talk more about that in the weeks to come, Lord willing. Today, Jews celebrate a meal at Passover called the Seder. Uh, it's basically a meal that demonstrates with all kinds of visualization and aromas and tastes that demonstrate and remind them of the suffering that their forefathers experienced in Egypt and the great deliverance that God gave them. The meal includes reading and storytelling and wine drinking and more storytelling and and then eating all these special foods and singing. We'll see more of this perhaps next week. The host of the Seder at a special time would read this very passage before us today in Exodus 12, and he would read the first 13 verses just as we're going to now. It would be read by the host, but for us today, it's going to be read from my friend, uh, Frederick Sandberg, former atheist, and now passionate follower of Jesus Christ, all the way from Sweden, now a member of Sailorville Church. Frederick, come and read the scripture for us, would you please? The Passover. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all of the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all of the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be the sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. I remember when I first read that passage of scripture as a brand new Christian and coming to the very end and reading, I will pass over you. And I thought, Passover, that's where the word comes from. 
it may have actually clicked for some of you just in Frederick's Bible reading there. The Passover. That's what we're talking about. I want all of you to know this morning that the angel of death is still on the move. And one day death will hover over all of us. The question is, will then judgment come upon you? The answer will have to do with what you do with the lamb. I want you to behold God's lamb from the passage of scripture that Frederick just read and several aspects of his life and death as we look through several of those aspects here this morning. Behold God's lamb and several aspects of his life and death. The first thing I want you to notice is the lamb had to be spotless. You saw that it had to be without blemish. Now, the only way to determine that would be to, are you ready for it? Quarantine it. <laughs> for five days, from the 10th to the 14th day, the lamb had to be quarantined. This is the only way any, any diseases that the lamb might have had would have been manifest during that time. Now, we don't like being quarantined during this time here. I get it. I don't like it any more than you do. But it might be the only way that some of you are going to be able to determine whether you have this virus that's going through our world. I know as we speak, and I'm ask, I would ask you to pray for my good friend Dave Heisterkamp, uh, the pastor of, uh, of, uh, of the church in Polk City, Lakeside Fellowship. His son John is an associate pastor out east, church of about 150 people. There were 148 in attendance several weeks ago, and unbeknownst to any of them, Someone had the coronavirus. Now, all 148 are under observation. And as we speak, there is a gentleman from that church whose life is in grave condition right now in a hospital. Please be praying for them. And just as some of you might think lightly about this, this is not something to think lightly about. This is serious business. God is at work. And if you don't see God working in this situation through the quarantine, through your quarantine, then you're not looking at it rightly because all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And a quarantine, by definition, is a time of testing. Jesus was quarantined for 40 days in the wilderness. You remember the story, tempted by the devil. In fact, you could argue that his entire three-year public ministry was a time that he was under constant scrutiny, constantly examined. I just thought of this just now, Luke 14. Uh, it says, when Jesus came into a certain place, they watched him closely. That was his whole, how would you like that, to have that kind of scrutiny upon you? In fact, from the moment John the Baptist declared him as the Lamb of God, he was under scrutiny. By the way, it's fascinating. If you follow a timeline of the last week of Jesus' life that led to his death, and subsequent resurrection, you'll see from the 10th day to the 14th, the same timestamp here. He was indeed intensely examined by his enemies. And the words of Pilate come to my mind, looking at his shredded body now beaten to a pulp from the scourging. Three times Pilate said, I find no fault in him. Surely Peter was right when he said, 
He is a lamb without spot and without blemish. The quarantine is a time of testing. So here's the question for you as we move on. How's the test going for you? How are you doing under the scrutiny? How are you doing under the test? The second thing I want you to note about the lamb was the lamb had to be killed. It had to be killed. You see that at the end of verse 6, they killed the lamb, slit its throat. Imagine, just for a moment, the lamb has been in the home for five days. Many, perhaps even most of those homes had children. How dramatic would this have been? They'd gotten used to this lamb, perhaps made it their pet, their little Fido, so to speak. How shocking would it be after five days that the father would then come and slit the throat and spill the blood of the lamb? My friend, Dr. Jeff Dodge at Veritas Church in Iowa City was telling me just this morning as we went back and forth that he was in Morocco a number of years ago in a Muslim community. And he was looking off the side. He saw this little tiny goat uh, that was tied up and the, and the children were playing with the goat, two little boys playing with the goat and they would play and the goat would just sort of butt them and they would laugh and, and they would go back and the goat would butt them again. They, they clearly were looking at this little goat as their little pet. Imagine the horror that Jeff experienced when he saw the father walk up to the goat at the time the boys were playing with it. Took it, pulled its head back, felt for the aorta, took its knife, and slit its throat. How horrifying, how dramatic must that have been? By the way, someone has pointed out that in verse 6, do you notice, please look at it from the reading, that the whole assembly of the congregation were to do this at twilight, between the nights, that's the idea there. At the same time, all of those Jewish homes throughout Goshen. And we know there were 600,000 men, so we estimate about 2 million Jews would eventually come out of Egypt. Now think about this. All of them slaughtering a lamb, having kept it in their home for five days at the same time. That's a lot of blood. Now you do the math on how many. That's a lot of blood. That's a, lo a lot of death. But what I want to point out from verse 6 is they all did it together. It was, a, it was a communal thing. They did it together. And here we are, unable to be together. We can't be together. We can only be together in spirit. I heard just the other day that our, our Roman Catholic friends, uh, the Pope, uh, has given them a special dispensation because they can't come to confession. In fact, he, he told the Catholics, and if you're a Catholic tuning in, you, you know what he said. He said, you can go straight to God. I thought to myself, we've been saying that for a long time. You can go straight to God through the one and only high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. But you need to know something. All of us are in this together. That is, those of us who know Jesus as our Savior. And just as the Jewish community experienced all this together, we do the same thing when we celebrate the Lord's table. That's why we don't encourage people to do it on their own, to do it in a community if at all possible. But think about our Lord Jesus, the Lamb of God. In those three years, he was adored, he was loved, he was followed, he was revered. 
and then he was killed. On the other hand, our lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, was destined for death. When John the Baptist identified him in John chapter 1 and said to the Jews, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This was the first lamb they ever saw walking on two feet. And they would have instantly identified Jesus as a sacrifice. Indeed, he was. Revelation 13, 8 says that he is the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world, which means it was always God's intent. It was always God's intent to save us by way of the killed lamb. Here's a third thing I want you to note. The lamb's blood had to be applied to their homes. See that in verse 7? This is really important because if you've been following our series, all of these plagues that God has, has leveled against the gods of the Egyptians referred to in their, here this past have been, God has, up until now, he has personally, he has sovereignly, he has unilaterally protected Israel. He's done all of this himself with those plagues. But this one's a little different. He's actually requiring their cooperation. And this has powerful application to you and to me. So listen carefully. Now God is requiring their cooperation. They had to do something in conjunction with their faith. And by the way, James tells us at the end of the New Testament that faith and action cooperate with each other. They're, they're not like oil and water. They're like hand and glove. Faith and action cooperate with each other. So the lamb was examined, it was killed, and then the blood was applied to the doorpost and the lentil at the front of the house, at the door of the house itself. Imagine getting these instructions for the very first time. How crazy, how ridiculous must this have sounded and this is what Paul meant when he said in 1 Corinthians, the message of the cross is to those who are perishing. It's foolishness. I mean, somebody dying on a, on a piece of wood? But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Is it the power of God to you? This wouldn't be the last time God would challenge the faith of the Jews. Later on in the wilderness journey, while they rebelled against God, he sent fiery, venomous, venomous snakes to bite them, and they were dying by the scores. God told Moses, here's what you're going to do. You're going you're to take a pole. You're going to stick it up there. You're going to take it. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna fashion a bronze serpent on the pole, and everybody who looks at that serpent will be delivered. Can you imagine how silly that must have seemed to them? And yet they were dropping off like flies. And so everybody who stared at the snake on the pole was delivered from the snakes. Strange. And yet the Lord Jesus would say in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, he said, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Sounds foolish, but faith is not a fool's venture. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The blood must be applied to your own life, to your own home, if you want to be saved. Here's a fourth thing I want you to note. The lamb was to be completely consumed. Note again in verse 8, they, they shall eat the flesh 
that night roasted on fire with unleavened bread, bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat anything raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head and its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. It was to be completely consumed. I asked my friend Jeff when he himself was startled by the Muslim man who cut the throat of the goat right in front of his boys. I said, why, do you do, why did he do that? He said, well, this was part of the Muslim tradition. But really, the purpose was for a meal. They were to eat the goat. I want you to think about this for a moment. The lamb here in the passage we're looking at, Exodus 12, the lamb. That lamb, listen to this, it covered them and it fed them. It both saved and it satisfied. It both delivered from judgment and filled them with nourishment. This is what Jesus does. He covers and he feeds us. He delivers us from judgment and he fills us with himself. This is what he meant when he said to abide in me. In fact, in John chapter 6, verses 54 through 58, I want you to see this passage of scripture here where it says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up in the last day for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I, I live because the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the fathers ate and died, not physical that is. Whoever feeds on this bread, spiritual bread, Jesus himself, will live forever. Notice the contrast and that's go, that goes on throughout John's gospel between the physical and the spiritual. And here's the point. Listen carefully. I think many of us out there, we want a convenient Jesus. Just a little bit of Jesus, that's all I need. But Jesus doesn't offer that to you. He offers you all of himself. We don't take a little bit of Jesus. We get all of him when we truly believe in him. We don't just place our faith in his good works, in his miracles, in his teaching, in his perfect life, or even in his pre-cross sufferings. We do believe all of this was for us, but ultimately he had to die and we must consume him. That's what it means to believe in him. That's what it means to eat his flesh and drink his blood. It means to believe him, all of him, take him all in by faith. So the lamb had to be completely consumed. Fifthly, the lamb had to be eaten. Watch this, standing up. Did you notice that? It was right toward the end. They, he says, you, you got to do this quickly. Look what he says in verse 11. Your, your belt, in this manner you shall eat with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, staff in your hand. You'll eat it in haste. This is the reason why we'll see this later. For the unleavened bread wouldn't have given it time to rise and We'll talk about that next time around. But they had to do it standing up. Have you ever eaten standing up? I'm sure you have. 
It's a symbol, though, isn't it? What are you saying when you eat standing up? You're saying, I don't have time to stay. You're saying, I'm in a hurry. You're saying, I got to get going. And that's exactly what God was saying to these Jews. They had now experienced, they would have experienced the Passover. They're safe in the home. They're eating the lamb. They've consumed it. And now they're doing it. They're all dressed and ready to go. Alex Motier says, before the Passover, Israel could not leave Egypt. After the Passover, Israel could not stay. Before you come to know Jesus, before you come to know Jesus, you can't leave your place of sin. You're bound. You're a slave there. But after you come to know Jesus, you can't remain in your place of sin. What shall we say then, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we? How shall we who've been buried with Christ remain and, and raised with Christ continue to live in sin? Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father, so we must walk in newness of life. And Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth shall set you what? It'll set you free, right? That's what John's gospel tells us. Sixthly, the lamb's blood on their houses was the cause of the Passover itself. Did you see that in verse 13? When I see the blood, God said, I'll pass over you. Judgment averted. Whew. I remember, I only, I've only owned one new car in my whole life. It was a 1980 Mazda RX-7, basically a poor man's Corvette. I was so excited about that car. I literally got in the car, took off, and I thought, I got to see what this will do. This 21-year-old had to see what it would do. I got on, the, on, the, on a highway south of Cedar Falls, Iowa. I let her go 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 85, just to see a deputy sheriff come over the top of the hill, whip it around, pulled me over, read me the riot act, and I didn't have anything to say. I mean, I had already had like three tickets to my name. I mean, my license was on the line. I pled with him. I just bought this car. I promise you I won't do it again. I must have looked like a complete fool. I'll never forget what he said. He says, I, he says, I, he says, I can hold this ticket for up to a year. And if I hear that you've done something like this, I'm going to reissue it to you. And he walked away, not giving me the ticket. Judgment was averted. Wow, I can't tell you. I can still remember how relieved I was at the time. But how much more, how much more is judgment averted when you place your faith in Jesus, the blood of Jesus? The blood of the lamb was a substitute for the firstborn that would die throughout all of Egypt if the blood wasn't found on the homes. It would be salvation for every Jew who actually believed. Jesus would later say to you and me, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and will not come into judgment, but has passed. The, the, the Greek word says literally passed over from death unto life. So here's my question to you with just one point left. Is the lamb's blood really on your house or just some cheap paint job? 
Is the blood of the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, really on your house, your home, your person, your life? Or is it some cheap paint job that isn't real? If you want judgment to be averted, the blood must be applied to your life. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Finally, the Lamb's people had to be quarantined in order to be saved. We didn't read it, so I think I'll just read it to you here. I think we might even have part of it up here. It says in verse 21, Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lentil and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. Quarantined. By now... We're all used to the word quarantine. Did you know where the word comes from? The word actually means, it literally means 40 days. You can hear the word quarter in there. And it actually came from the time of the Black Plague of the 14th century. Did you know that? So it was basically a designated period of time that when ships would come into the harbors, they would have to wait to make sure and isolate it quarantined crew and passengers before they could go ashore just to make sure they weren't bringing any diseases ashore. And the reason this happened was really went all the way back to October 1347. In October of 1347, in a, in a Cilician port of, of uh, I think it was Messina, Twelve ships came in. Twelve ships were docked. They came off the Black Sea. And when the first ship came in, they walked up the plank to get this merchant's ship's cargo, and they found that most of all of the passengers and crew were already dead. And those that were alive, and this was true of all the twelve ships, and there weren't that many that were alive, but they were oozing with sores and just pitiful, a pitiful disease they'd never seen before. And out of horror, they sent them all out back to the sea. But it was too late. The contagion had gotten in. And the Black Plague would settle upon Europe. And before it was over, 20 million Europeans would die of the bubonic or Black Sea Plague. quarantined. Dear friend, don't let it be too late for you. Not only was the lamb quarantined, so were God's people. But it was a quarantine in the home, under the blood, that would save them and will save you. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Colossians, if you know Christ, I love these words. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's a safe place to be. And I would just ask you to look at verses 3 through 5 as we conclude. With these thoughts, as I come into your homes, 
Who is Jesus to you? Verse 3 says, take a lamb. And to some of you, that's what Jesus is. He's a lamb. He's one way to get to God. And there are many ways, you know. You have many religions, many world religions out there, Christianity, Islam, Buddhism. You might think you're a good person. You're a moralist. There's lots of ways to get to God. He's just, a, and Jesus is a way. If you look at the end of verse 4, he calls him the lamb. And that's where many of you are. Please listen to this. You have the right understanding of Jesus. You know that he is God, the second person of the Godhead who left his throne above, who became a human being, who lived a perfect life, who died on the cross as the lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. You got it. And you remind me of a man I sat with some, several years ago, and uh, there was nothing Christ-like about him, but he understood all of the tenets of Christianity. In fact, he went through all the doctrines of grace with me, and he had them down perfectly. He knew that Jesus was the lamb, and yet there was nothing in his life to back it up. That might be some of you. You know all about Jesus. He's not just a lamb. He's the lamb. But he's not your lamb. Look at the beginning of verse 5, your lamb. Sometimes you just got to love the way the Bible itself puts it out there so personally. You see, until Jesus is your lamb, you don't have the protection that you need. You're not covered. And you need to be covered by the blood and the protection of not just a lamb, not just the lamb, but your lamb, making it personal, Jesus Christ. The Bible says, as many as received him, to them God gave the right and the authority to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. Would you today, in the quietness of your heart, as you sit there in your living room or your bedroom or wherever you're at in the home, see Jesus as more than just any way. He's the only way. He needs to be your way. And believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Will you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for the, this wonderful passage of Scripture of the Exodus and the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for this great illustration of what would take place later on when the greater Passover, Jesus would die for us and rise again. I pray that those of us who know Jesus would be, thank you, would be thankful for the consumption to have him, all of him, and to walk with him by faith in these difficult days of isolation. And I pray, God, for those who are listening who maybe it just finally come into light in their lives. They don't, they don't know Jesus as their own personal lamb. And today, if that's you, dear friend, in prayer, just place your faith in him. Believe in him. Acknowledge your sin that sent him to the cross willingly. Turn from your sin and place your faith in him to be saved. God, we're asking you to do something very special, even through this means. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you so much. I hope you'll join us after the song for a time of Q&A.